Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is The Way We Live Now. Today is day 38 of this podcast. I'm always thinking of bringing on guests who will represent this time we're living through. And this week, that time changed with the wrenching events unfolding all over this country. Many of us are devastated, enraged, fearful, and perhaps above all, awakened. We're listening more closely than ever before. My guest today is Kiese Lehman, brilliant writer, author of the memoir Heavy, among other books, editor, and professor of English and creative writing at the University of Mississippi. Kiese, thanks so much for joining me to talk about the way we live now. Thank you so much, Danny, for having me. With so much going on in the world. I appreciate it. Oh, it's really good to hear your voice. The impulse behind this show, which I started after the pandemic hit, was and still is to connect us, although that's starting to mean something even different from the way I felt when I began it. And and so that we can gather, uh, so that we can have windows into and understand each other's lives. So in sort of light of that, let's begin by you telling us where you are as we're speaking, where are you sitting, what are you looking at? Oh, right now I am in Oxford, Mississippi. I am sitting on a couch in a house which was once land 
um, that Union soldiers burnt down. Um, so I'm sitting on I'm sitting on Confederate land um, in a house that the university um, owns and <laughs> loaned to me as part of my negotiation. And I am looking at a punching bag and <laughs> looking at a hat that one of my students gave me. Cool. I love that you're looking at a punching bag. Yeah. Yeah. And, right here. And the hat. <laughs> yep. I guess I want to begin by talking about, you know, you and I are having this conversation and it's been a really heartbreaking week. A heartbreaking week in a heartbreaking time, you know, a reckoning on top of a reckoning. You know, you're you're the author of one of my favorite modern memoirs, Heavy. And one of the things I love so much about Heavy is that although it's beautifully written and you know exquisitely crafted, it's also raw and soulful and it's not performative. It almost seems to say, I'm not performing this for you, the reader. I'm not performing mm-hmm. this at all. And, you know, this rawness is, uh, you know, hard won on the page. And as I was getting ready to talk with you, um, I went back and I read an interview that you did uh, a couple years ago with the Paris Review. And in it, you talked about something that felt so prescient at least to me, in terms of what's going on in the world today, in our country today. And I just want to read it back to you, if you don't mind. Okay, thank you. There's a level of performance. My grandmom performed that shit in the chicken plant. I often performed it in a fucking classroom or when I go to talk about my book. My mama, when she goes into the grocery store, she has to do a particular kind of performance for white folk in order to make it out of the grocery store, in order to make it home. I had a lot, a lot, a lot of experience with police that was just terrible and violent, and I didn't want to bring those into the book. I just wanted to allude to them. Um, I remember the pieces of that that you write about in the book, but, you know, when you talk about now and these experiences, that are going on around our country right now. What does that make you think about? Oh, wow. Hearing that quote um, today, uh, I think actually makes me think about, um, it makes me feel more than think. It makes me feel um, the fact that I'm 45 years old. I'm black. um, I am a Mississippian. For all intents and purposes, I I am successful, and and I have come back home. Um, that's that's success to me. You know, I came back home, and I'm terrified of having children. Mm. Um, but I need children, and that quote, like, it makes me just sit in the paradox of my life, which is like, it, it just seems like in my life, children are we've asked children to risk it all, right. To save themselves and to save their parents. Every single generation, I think since I've been alive has asked children and put that on children to save themselves and save their parents. And when you read that quote to me and I thought about, I think about my relationships with cops and I I don't believe in innocence. I, I by no means am an innocent person. I have hurt people closest to me 
emotionally in like the ways that the, 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 the darkest ways you can hurt people. Um, but you know what? Like I don't drink, you know what I'm saying? Like I love people who do, I don't do drugs. I love people who do. And you know, I had cops pull guns to my head as a, as a kid, you know what I'm saying? As a child, mm-hmm. three different times. And that shit lives in your body. You know, and, 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 and every time that it happened to me, like I wanted to kill, I wanted to fight and I wanted to protect my mama. And how did I protect my mom? I protected my mama by not telling her, mm. do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so I, I just really, I'm thinking a lot about these young people out in these streets right now, trying to fight for their dignity, for their, for their parents' dignity, for their grandparents' dignity, um, and I just think at some point, like adults have to be like, we don't want to put that on our children. But the paradox is we want to create children who are willing to risk it all. Right. I I, I, I would believe that that's true, but but not like this. Do you know what I'm saying? These kids are bearing weight that they should not have to bear because we tried to bear weight that we couldn't bear and we failed. And mm. it's just scary. It's just really scary. That quote, I, I didn't remember saying that, but it's just really scary. That quote is scary. Thinking about where I am right now is scary. Um, the thought of having children is terrifying. The thought of living in this world and this house without children is extremely terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I just want us to be. I just. I just want us to be better. And I know we can because we so fucked up. We can be. A, we can be better. You know. Yeah. No, I mean, I think as I'm listening to you, like one of the things you're talking about is this cycle of repetition. Right. Again and again and again, generation after generation. Um, and somehow maybe every generation feels this way, but it, does it feel like it's coming to a head? You know, I don't, that, that that's the wonderful thing about loving older people. You know, mm. my grandmama's 91 years old. And so like, there's a part of me that I think it's just the artful part of me that wants to believe in cycles. Right. And if you believe in cycles, you believe you'll cycle out of a cycle. Mm. But my grandmother, you know, her favorite show is family feud. And the last two days all she wanted to do was watch the news and all day you know she just sat up in there crying and and my grandmama who's born in mississippi 1929 every fucked up thing you can imagine happening to a human being born in 1929 she has born and she has spread love along the way and she has said key i have never in my life seen it this bad that's my grandma you know what I'm saying? That's that's a 91-year-old person who saw everything. She saw any everything that happened between the 50s and 1969, she saw an experience and tried to raise children during it. Everything you saw during the Black Power movements in the 1970s, she felt what she saw. And she said, and this was when she saw Trump, <laughs> use those, you know, ironic, like, well, I mean, not well-paid, thugs since he likes to use likes to use that word so much push those young folks out of the way so he could go do a photo op with a bible my grandmama sat there and she weeped fam mm-hmm. she weeped mm-hmm. because for better or worse she she has used like that text the bible in particular in that text the character of christ the character of Christ, not the entire text, but the character of Christ. She modeled that character on how she wanted to live and who she wanted to be. And she just never thought she'd make it to to 70, much less 91. And if she made it to 91, she never thought she'd see shit be this bad. 
So I think it's coming to a head. I think it's come to heads many, many different times. But I just don't know what we do right now because, like, like I understand people are, are tearing shit up, but like, <laughs> I I I just think people don't understand that we're lucky. Like, we're lucky that people are only like we we as a we as a nation in some way are lucky that people are not arming themselves. And I'm not I'm not saying people need to arm themselves and fucking go out there and kill people because people are already doing that. But we are lucky, fam. Like and and so I just think when people make these like hyperbolic statements about what's going on in this country with these people protesting, I just think they they're 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 ahistorical. One. And two, I just think what's interesting is we haven't seen any black people over 80 talk yet. You know, why haven't we seen black people who've seen all this shit talk? Because we know what they're going to say. And they're not just going to say, oh, I think we need to stop burning down our communities. They're going to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, I think for a lot of them, they ain't never seen nothing like this. Mm. And they deserve more. And these are people who were not paid shit for immaculate fucking work. So they've seen and felt the worst of this country. And for them to be like, this is the worst. Come on, man. Come on. Yeah. Boy, maybe I need to have your grandma on the show. <laughs> Shit. They need to they need to start interviewing older people generally, but definitely like older black people. Yeah. I, I mean, who can't who couldn't work, who couldn't fucking who got, you know, my grandmother was lucky that she got picked to work in a fucking chicken plant. Like <laughs> that was luck <laughs> to stand up nine hours a day without a face mask on, cutting the bellies open of the chicken. That was lucky. She had to and because that before that she was washing white people's fucking dirty ass drawers as as a domestic, you know, cleaning, cleaning, cooking for these people. But that shit working in a chicken plant was more dignified than doing that work. And I'm just saying, if we really love the way we say we love and we respect the elder, elderly, why don't we get some older black people on these television screens in these books talking about what they have actually seen, what they actually feel and what they actually think we need to do. And the fact that we don't have that and or very young people telling the truth on these television screens and on these magazines, I think it says everything. We can be better. We can listen to people right now and we can be better. And we're not. Yeah. But those young people are trying. You know, that's all my that's my point. These young people should not have to risk. When I was young like that, I was out there risking. I shouldn't have had to risk. My grandmama had to fucking risk. But mm. at some point, we gotta make it better for y'all. We gotta actually love children. Yeah. And we don't. We don't love them. We don't love them, fam. We don't love them. Mm. So so speaking of like we gotta make it better. You know, I was thinking in the last couple of days, there's, you know, you and I are both on social media. There's a lot going on on social media as there's a lot going on on the news and there's a lot going on on the streets and they all paint a different picture. But on Instagram in the last couple of days, there have been all of these people, uh, well-meaning people, uh, Mm -hmm. mostly white people, putting out the, you know, the hashtag Black Lives Matter until they were finally told that by posting that hashtag Black Lives Matter, they were actually pushing it down. They were unwittingly burying important, you know, vital information in their attempt to show solidarity. And, you know, I just shook my head when I saw that because I thought, like, well-meaning, yes, but getting it wrong, which I think is probably what a lot of people would say. And, um, you know, in my little community in Connecticut, which is a very white community, uh, there was a protest yesterday that was organized by some young people. And um, about 800 people showed up in a town that's maybe twice that size, mm-hmm. which was 
fantastic to see. Um, but one of the things that the young woman organizing it did, she sat down in the middle of the road with a bullhorn and she said, we are a white community and we are a privileged community and we need to be quiet. Like we, in other, not be quiet, be silenced, but be like no chanting, no slogans. This is about other voices being heard, not our, our voice being heard. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that. But, you know, I sort of feel like, yeah, the word we have to listen is coming up a lot. And there are all of these reading lists of, you know, all sorts of brilliant books um, about anti-racism and how to understand it. And yet I am wondering how, how we, we all of us, begin to try to get right something that has had, like it's seeped into the soil of our earth, so many layers beneath us that it returns stronger than ever generation after generation after generations that your grandma's got to sit there watching the news and and be crying at the age of 91. Yeah, I mean, I think that question and that scene, I think are are very important to, to, to sort of like sit in for a second because, you know, the scariest thing about all of this shit is that like, if you look at everything that's happened, just, I'm just gonna say since I was born in the 1970s, what's, what's apparent to me is that I, I don't know that white people need to be silent, but I think white people need to talk more about how investments and in white supremacy have destroyed them internally, familiarly, and morally. And why do I say that? Mm. Because there's a lot of ways, reasons to say that. But, you know, if you look at Donald Trump, and, and I don't just think this is Donald Trump because Donald Trump could not do any of this alone. He had to get elected. And people want to talk about him getting elected, for example, because, you know, people of color didn't come out to vote. Okay, fuck it. Let's, 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 let's say that. Let's, let's not talk about that shit for a second because I don't think that's true. There is something wrong with white folks in this country when the majority of white voters in this country who were, I think, overtly respected by Obama, picked Donald Trump to be president, the majority. So so while we're talking about all the shit that like has been pilfered from us and all of the plunder and and, and like the wealth gap and 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 the incarceration rates, all of this shit is real. But what I'm asking is like, what does that do? to the insides of white folks. I'm not even asking that question anymore because I know the answer, but I think white people need to ask themselves, you know, 800 people show up in a mostly white community. I think those folks not just need to ask themselves about privilege, but what sort of destruction has happened internally when you live in a culture that does what it does to whiteness, you know, valorizing it, Mm -hmm. you know, to indigeneity, to Latinx folks and to black folk. And so I, I just think, and I think actually like your work helps us think about this. And so, yeah, I don't need white folks to be quiet. I need them to talk more to each other about like how this world, this country, this nation, as we have created it, is tearing them the fuck up inside. Like the family structure, the moral structure, it, it, it's not healthy. It's ironically wholly dysfunctional. And I say ironically because that's the word they often use to describe our family structures and our morality. Do you know what I'm saying? But the but the but the scary part of this conversation is folks like me can get so hung up in talking about what white folks don't do right and how white folks insides need to be recalibrated that we end up not talking about the other things. We end up not talking about the fact that like like 
a lot of our movements in, in, in my lifetime have been led by black women, by black queer women, by black queer folks. And like the same shit I'm talking about that is like fucking fucking up and like mangling the insides of white folk in terms of white supremacy. I know since heteropatriarchy is fucking me up. And I need to talk about that shit. I don't need to burden any, you know, wonder or genderqueer person with that. I need to talk about that shit, though. And I need to really reckon with the way, like, an overrepresented, like, power in any station in life is going to fuck you up if you don't attend to it. Mm. And I think white folks haven't been attending to it. You know what I mean? Everywhere you look, you can see the consequence of that lack of attention. But I think we can see that consequence of the lack of attention for all of our identities if we break them all down. You see what I'm saying? So talk to each other, but talk to each other about that inside shit. Like talk to each other about what we know, the heaviness that we know y'all have over, you know, because you're, you're overrepresented in everything, everything quote unquote healthy. You're overrepresented in colleges, overrepresented in wealth and all that shit. Talk about that shit. And then fucking like, ultimately you got to give some of that shit up to feel better. Not, not just because we need it, because I think morally white folk need that shit, you know, mm-hmm. got to give it up. I know, I know there's a lot I got to give up. I got to give a lot of this shit up that I have inside of me that stops me from sleeping, that makes me fucking, you know, want to spend my entire day like in a dream, yeah. you know, like, and we just got to, we just, we just got to be able to have honest conversations with ourselves. We got to honestly quake and we honestly got to talk about what we need to give up to be better inside. White folk got to say themselves. And I think we've been trying to save them for too long. Save, save yourself. Man. Like it's, it's okay. We're going to all be better. We're going to all be better. And you need saving, like, you know, head, heads up, you need saving, right? <laughs> you know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about the way that like in this just sort of staggering way, you know, we have this pandemic and that's this one form of reckoning. We thought that was plenty, right? And right. now we have, this reckoning that we hadn't imagined um, and it's, or it's certainly imaginable and it's, it's been here before. It's, I mean, mm-hmm. to go back to the repetition, but it's happening during a pandemic, during which time people are actually forced to look deeper. We're forced yeah. to look deeper. If you had taken the aftermath of George Floyd's death and everything mm-hmm. that's happened since then and transposed it onto, like, you know, a more typical stretch of time, I don't know that we'd be getting the same kind of reckoning as we're getting. I, I mean, I'm looking, for a, right. I'm looking for a silver lining here, but I'm thinking that everybody's really uncomfortable right now. You know, the, the, the virus, well, the virus did discriminate, in fact, in terms of the proportion of, of deaths. But, Absolutely. but in terms of its actual, you know, capacity to infect, no. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, people who are accustomed to feeling like their privilege could protect them suddenly felt very vulnerable and unprotected. And maybe that's a starting place, you know, like the, the looking inward, which is something that in our, in our culture we manage to avoid doing a lot of the time. Absolutely. And, and and we're storytellers, right? And we saw in some way like a snapshot of George's like life. You mm-hmm. know, we saw a snapshot of that. 
and 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 what we saw was terrifying. But I think I think what that what that snapshot does, you know, I think what we allow that snapshot to do is make a spectacle out of out of his death, right? And possibly his life. But if we look at another story, if we look at Breonna Taylor, who is literally out there risking her life in Louisville, mm-hmm. right? She's been risking her life in Louisville since she was born. She's risking her life, right, to get people who are who who, who have been sick, like to get them healthier. And police bust up in that house and shoot that woman mm-hmm. dead. You know? And and so like I'm just gonna make it circular. Like the hope to me, and and this is where my grandmother and I agree and disagree, is that people, for example, in Louisville are finally stepping up and saying, you know, not only are all of our lives worth a lot more than we've been told, but this black woman's life, who was an essential worker, who was an expendable worker, who was trying to love and save us, was murdered by people who we who by people we pay taxes to. Do you know what I'm saying? And and I'm just saying, like, one of the most wonderful things we see in today is that people out there are fighting, fighting for black expendable workers who've been murdered, fighting for George, you know, fight, fighting for Arbor in in uh, in Georgia. Do you know what I mean? Like, like just fighting. But like so the wonder and the joy is in the fight, but the devastation is in the fact that they're fighting, period. And yes, this pandemic is terrible, as is capitalism. Right. As is white supremacy. But those kids out there are fighting because they believe they can change this shit. And that, to me, is what is what devastates me inside because I know they're getting themselves sick morally, intellectually, um, psychologically, and biologically with this virus. But on the other hand, thank God they're fighting. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Thank God y'all met together as 800 people. Thank goodness y'all did that. You know, we can we can be better. And I think it's going to take like care, tender, tenderness and organized, direct upheaval to make us be who we who we who we say we are. And I think people are doing that. So in that way, I think that is the hope. Can't say that's beautiful. It's a beautiful place to to end this beautiful conversation. My heart's very full. I I adore you and your work and your voice. And I'm just so thankful that you've really generously taken the time during this time where it's, it's, it's got to cost you to share that with us. It costs, it cost us. It cost us, right? Yes. Price of the ticket. We are, we all paying. I just think that's what we got to understand. We all paying. That's right. We all paying. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Way We Live Now. Tell us the way you're living now. We want to hear. Call us on, you might want to get a pen for this, 909-713-8995. That's 909-713-8995. And record your story, and we might just use it on the pod. Also, you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash the way we live now pod. We are creating a community here, and we would love for you to join us. You can find me on Instagram at Danny Ryder. The Way We Live Now is a production of iHeartRadio. It's produced by Lowell Berlanti. Beth Ann Macaluso is executive producer. Special thanks to Tristan McNeil and Tyler Klang. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 